She was born with heroin in her blood and spent part of her childhood with her mother in a treatment center, living with people in recovery and seeing firsthand what works. Decades later, she's in charge of how Multnomah County helps people with addiction and mental illness. We have to be prepared at any given moment to, uh, you know, give someone a hand. Ebony Clark joins us today to talk about how her past is helping guide her work now and how she's working to improve the system for everyone who needs help. From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. In this episode of Straight Talk, a remarkable journey for one of Multnomah County's newest directors, a woman who was born a month prematurely to a heroin addicted mother. She spent weeks in the hospital after she was born, being weaned off the drugs. She lived part of her childhood in foster care before eventually being reunited with her mother. Ebony Sloan Clark's early life was full of challenges, but she overcame them and went on to get her bachelor's degree from the University of Oregon, a master's of social work from Portland State. She's worked in public and nonprofit health organizations for 20 years. And earlier this year, Multnomah County named Clark director of its mental health and addiction services division, overseeing 300 staff members. She has big plans to better serve the county and the people who need its services. In this week's Straight Talk, we find out about Clark's goals and how her early life shaped who she is today and her outlook on life and her job. Welcome to my guest, Director Ebony Sloan Clark. Thanks for being here on Straight Talk. Thank you for having me. This is an honor. Well, it's an honor to have you here. You were named as director last spring. What does it mean to you to be in charge of, of a division that is so important to so many vulnerable citizens in the mm -hmm. county? That's a really great question. And for me, first and foremost, it means that um, I've been entrusted by the consumers and the utilizers of our services and um, our community and our local residents to um, ensure that I am living this commitment that I have to uh, making sure that we have a system that meets the complex and the unique needs of the people that we serve. Um, what it means to me is um, that, you know, I'm a spiritual person and I'm led by my faith. Um, I'm also led by my lived experience. And so with that, um, I, I truly feel like um, the stars are aligned and I have a purpose and I get to carry out my purpose in being able to um, provide a hand up to those who um, are struggling or who are in need, um, especially based on you know my background and my history. So to me, it means that um, I have a responsibility um, and that um, I have accountability to um, not only talking, but being able to show this active response to how we're um, meeting the needs of the individuals um, who are suffering from behavioral health challenges and conditions. You have a, a big challenge ahead of you. You took over at a controversial time after some controversy. Uh, there were allegations county officials ignored some serious complaints about Unity Center for Behavioral Health and your predecessor, the director, you were deputy director at the time, another person were fired. Was it tough for you to step into that role to try to rebuild trust in the division, uh, help boost morale? I think for me, what I know is, um, is that our work is about relationships and um, relationship 
is the foundation that creates a catalyst of trust. Um, and and because of my work and because of my commitment and and how I navigate and how I how I lead, I was able to leverage the relationships that I had with um, the community, with the consumers, with the staff, um, and with the people that I reported to. And so. Um, you know, I think that it was an opportunity for me to be able to um, demonstrate that I could step forward and continue to um, move things ahead. And you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it was some trying times, but you know, uh, my responsibility was to focus on the needs of the people. Um, my responsibility was to focus on ensuring that um, we weren't losing sight of, of our priority. And first and foremost, our priority is to serve those who are struggling. And so with that, um, understanding that um, this cannot be a one-person uh, effort, I was able to um, step in and create a platform to um, leverage the voice of the staff and leverage the voice of peers and leverage the voice of um, the consumers to really begin to um, not only hear what the concerns and the challenges were and what their recommendations were, but I had an opportunity to be able to uh, integrate their recommendations and I had an opportunity to be able to um, demonstrate a real response. And so um, in the opportunity of um, being able to create and step into a higher level of accountability, I was lucky that I got to focus on how do we better serve and protect those. Tell us a little bit about the people that you serve, a little bit more about what the mental health and addiction mm -hmm. services is mm -hmm. and, and the people you serve. Yeah, so we, um, so Multnomah County, we serve as the local mental health authority. And so what that means is, is that um, we have the responsibility of ensuring that we have our finger on the pulse of uh, the various needs um, of the individuals um, and the residents within Multnomah County specifically. Um, it's our responsibility to understand the needs, whether it has to do with mental health, whether it has to do with substance use, um, whether it has to do with uh, a mother and her child, or um, an older adult who suffered from chronic mental illness all their life. And so it's our job to ensure that we understand those various needs, and then within that, how are we coming together in a collaborative effort with the community, with our consumers, with our partners, with our key stakeholders, to continue to create, um, to enhance and innovate, to create services and supports that meet the need. Um, our responsibility is uh, to ensure that we're, you know, it's this ongoing, evolving process. And so, you know, the people that we're serving are the most vulnerable. Um, you know, so as I said, you know, our, our priority populations are children and youth, um, older adults, um, those who suffer from chronic, um, severe and persistent mental illness. Um, 
as well as our uh, communities of color because we also see disparities play out with communities of, of color. So You wanted to make some changes too in that regard. You wanted to have more peer mentors mm -hmm. that were people of color to mm -hmm. respond to the community. Have mm -hmm. you been able to do that? Yes, and so in terms of the changes, um, first and foremost, the changes that I made and committed to was looking at how do we create a process where we have increased accountability, increased transparency, um, and increased commitment to achieving our aim. And so through that, um, able to ensure that we had uh, a robust enough infrastructure or staffing to carry out what we're called to do, um, and then recognizing that as I said earlier, it takes a collective effort. So that said, um, learn, figuring out how do we do increase peers into um, our, our system internally within the division, in addition to having a focus on our external commitments. And so absolutely um, was able to create uh, additional positions where we have individuals with lived experience that sit right within the director's office and and in a number of our program, various programs within the division. And their role is to hold us accountable. Their role is to help us um, make sure that we're not medicalizing the issues per se. Their role is to um, essentially bring us back down to reality because oftentimes it's easy to um, lose touch in a sense as professionals and so we need to have that balance to really um, understand how policy or recommendations uh, might actually really impact an individual or a family and so um, their voice is critical in what we do. You have had such an impressive career and, and so has your journey been impressive and our Maggie Vespa earlier mm -hmm. this summer did a profile on you so I want to play part of that story and then we'll talk a little bit about it. My mom was uh, a heroin addict, and I was born um, premature, I think about a month early. 42 years ago, Clark's mom sat in Legacy Emanuel Medical Center and watched as the drugs worked their way through her baby daughter's system. I know that she was um, gravely afraid and concerned for my health and my well-being. Despite those concerns, Clark made a full recovery. But in the years that followed, her mom's struggles continued. When she went to prison, the state took custody of Clark and her older brother. Then something happened. Foster mother was giving me a bath um, and the water was scalding hot and um, she placed me in the bathtub and um, my skin was burned. I ended up having to, I had three third degree burns and um, ended up having to get um, skin grafts. By that point, Clark's mom was out of prison and in rehab. Clark says someone called to tell her what happened. I know that she had this immediate, you know, kind of um, fight or flight and what she wanted to do was she wanted to leave and she wanted to come and get me. She paused and um, kind of realized that if she left the program, um, she was throwing away her opportunity to um, get her kids. If you'd like to see that entire story, you can watch it on KGW's YouTube channel. So eventually, Ebony, what, what a story. You were reunited with your mom, your family. You lived at a rehab center for a number of years. Mm -hmm. What did you learn from that experience? Mm -hmm. um, first and foremost, I learned that 
um, it's individuals, the actual individual is the one that holds the true key to um, their journey in recovery. And what I learned was it's that um, as helpers, as providers, as clinicians, our job is to assist individuals um, in finding solutions to their challenges. And so what I learned was that it truly is about, you, you see this increased effectiveness when you're able to leverage lived experience, when you're able to leverage the resiliency um, of um, others' experiences to support those who are new on the journey. And I learned not to be ashamed. You went to your mom's 12-step meetings. How mm -hmm. did that inform who you are today? Mm -hmm. Well, I, that's, I, I get that question a lot. Um, and I think there's kind of two pieces. Um, for me, growing up and going to meetings and hearing other people's stories, it set a foundation of awareness uh, in me as a child so that as I went through my adolescence and um, you know early adulthood, um, I was clear about the impacts of um, drug use, and I had awareness around issues of depression and anxiety. And because I uh, knew firsthand and seen firsthand how it impacted my mother and how it impacted others, I didn't want to take that chance. And so it actually gave me the skills to stay focused and committed on kind of what my goals were in life. Um, and then I think also it's what instilled um, this desire and passion and drive that I have to um, to help others. I read you always knew you wanted to be yes. a family therapist. Yes, always knew, always knew that I wanted to to help others, and I think that early on that was my experience. So you know, in that program there were other kids, and so I think I was kind of the natural helper early on, and it just kind of uh, grew and. Cult, my, my mom cultivated it and um, me also being able to watch my mom and how she, she became a back peer mentor back. right yes and so it was a value that was just instilled in me and so it was just something that was natural so many people if they had gone through what you went through would have been derailed mm -hmm. how do you explain your resilience well okay so I'm you know um, folks who know me understand that I put it on the table and I, I just say it um, and I think it's important for me to say this especially um, being in the great Northwest um, I'm an african-american woman in one of the uh, widest metropolitan cities in the United States and so that said um, I have to stay strong I have to be resilient I, I have to um, have something to hold on as I experience the various issues of oppression and discrimination and, and microaggression in my life. And so I think because of that, um, my lived experience and being able to be supported by my mom and, and benefit and learn from her life experience, it only strengthened me. And so to be honest, um, I have to have something to hold on to if I don't want to crumble um, to the issues of um, racism. And you're, you're married you, for 17 years. You have two sons. You said mm -hmm. 13 and 7 years old. How, and you're also, you talked about your faith. You're a member of the Rolling Hills Community mm -hmm. Church. 
How do you want your sons to grow up? Mm -hmm. Well, I want my sons to grow up and to be proud of, of who they are. I want them to grow up and to be proud of um, their family story. Um, I want my sons to grow up and know that they have the support and that they don't have to be ashamed to experience the natural highs and lows that we do as human beings. Um, and I want my sons to know that they have something within them to stand strong. Um, and, and that's something that's very important. And in your church, you're a volunteer. You, you started some racial equity training for middle schoolers and high schoolers. Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I will say that, you know, um, like I said, I am led by my faith. And so there are two key women, um, I should say pastors at Rolling Hills, who um, were incremental in um, assisting and kind of starting that um, curiosity and um, so what I do is I'm, I'm able and I'm given an opportunity to talk about um, the issues of, of racism and I'm able to talk about it in the context of faith and, um, and through our faith and, and with our hearts if we love and we are to support everyone, then how do we call that out and how do we use our voice? And so I love the fact of being able to work with young people to um, give them tools to stand up and fight against racism. And so I've been able to, to speak to it, do some trainings um, and, and have some key conversations to begin to plant some seeds with the leadership to see where are we going to go with this and it's awesome. I want to talk about this uh, behavioral health walk-in center that the county is building mm -hmm. because right now homeless people have no place to go that's not a clinic, an emergency room, or jail. And Multnomah County is turning the Bouchong building on Southwest Park Avenue into a walk-in center for thousands of people in the county who are on the streets and struggling mm -hmm. with mental illness and addiction. How are you and your division partnering on this? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, before I touch on that, I just want to use this as an opportunity to highlight and provide some context and history around um, our publicly funded behavioral health system. Um, you know, so about 60 years ago when President Kennedy promised to close institutions and um, focus on opening up robust community mental health continuums of care, um, it never fully materialized. Um, and what we ended up kind of seeing was this kind of um, slow disinvestment in our publicly funded system. And so I say that to say that um, over the course of the years, we see this underfunded system with increased need and we never really seen adequate investment um, at the federal level or even at the state levels. That said, um, and then also recognizing uh, the ongoing and increasing issues that we see around homelessness, uh, specifically in the population of those that suffer from disabling behavioral health conditions. Um, Multnomah County Chair um, is committed to looking at trying to find a real response. Thus, there's this project, specifically what we're calling the Behavioral Health Resource Center. And what the goal is, is to create a space um, right down in downtown where we see a significant number of um, homeless individuals. And what we're looking to do is create a continuum of services um, that are peer-led and peer-run 
Um, so we'll have drop-in services, we'll have um, shelter beds, and then some transitional housing. And so really looking at how do we create a resource that can meet the complex needs of the individuals who are suffering from chronic homelessness. Um, you know, what we know is a lot of times if someone doesn't even know where they're going to lay their head, it's difficult to think about how can I begin to engage in treatment services? And so being able to have a space where you can go and get uh, some soup or a sandwich, uh, be welcomed and supported by others with, led ex with lived experience, um, we're hoping that that will be kind of that nugget that then sparks curiosity and interest in trying to figure out helping folks figure out solutions to their life. And so with that, we want to be able to have some co-located services where we'll have some providers there that can talk about um, services and supports and assist with trying to get um, individuals connected with uh, appointments to expedite, expedite services. Um, Any and, idea when this will all happen? Um, so this is about probably about a year and a half out. Not far away. And so I would say that right now we are in the process of um, you know, construction and um, looking at uh, trying to tear down the building to then begin to renovate to meet the design. Well, it's very exciting. I, I want to get to one other subject yes. because we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask you about your mom because yes. she did get clean and sober decades ago. We talked about her being a peer mentor. How did she turn her life around like that? Well, I mean, the story that she always shares was that no matter what, she she loved our ki her kids. Um, you know, when my older brother and my, I ended up in foster care, um, there was this constant void and she knew that she had to do something. And so it was her commitment um, and her love for my brother and I that um, led her uh, desire and to getting clean and sober and seeking the help that she needed. What, what, how would you describe your relationship with her now? Um, it's great. We have a real open, fun, loving, um, and very transparent relationship. And, um, you know, uh, my mom, you know, holds me accountable and I hold her accountable. And I was actually thinking about just the other day, it dawned on me that I think one of the biggest things that I learned um, from my mom was forgiveness and grace and you know um, you know I just have watched my mom um, heard her stories and um, seen some of the things that she's gone through um, but no matter what she's always held her head up high and she walks with dignity and she has this grace about her and this forgiveness about her and um, and that's what I hold, and I think that that's some of the core values that I hold. Well, I can tell you're proud of her, and yes, I'm sure she is very proud of you. Only about a minute left, but I did want to ask you real quickly, if you could sort of tie a bow on this. What is your dream? If you could wave a magic wand, what is your dream for how things will go for you and, and your mission? Mm -hmm. Well, my dream is for uh, the Mental Health and Addiction Services Division to um, be robust enough and uh, nimble enough to meet the vast needs and the complex needs of the individuals that we serve in this ever-changing climate. I always say that it's important for us to be able to uh, 
have a continuum of care that serves the whole person, uh, recognizing as individuals we are complex and that and we are unique. And that said, we have to have um, a robust and complex system to meet that need. And so that's what my hope is. And my hope is that we have a system that is truly cons consumer-led and consumer-driven. Um, I'm committed to uh, increased accountability, transparency, and integrity. Well, Ebony Clark, thank you for joining us. I do want to give this phone number that you shared with us uh, for people who have concerns or want help. It's the Multnomah County Mental Health Call Center. Here's the number, 503-988-4888, 503-988-488. Thank you again for being thank here. You. Good luck, and I hope all your goals and dreams do come true. Thank you. And thank you for watching and listening. Remember, you can also get Straight Talk as a podcast. There's that QR code. Just point your camera at that. It'll take you to a link where you can download KGW Straight Talk. Thanks for checking it out. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.